I'm JP, and welcome to a new episode of Grapple Roundtable. And this week, we thought in the run-up to All Out, we thought it might be a good time to have a bit of a deep dive into AEW. Have a look at some of the matches, the roster, the TV product, the business side of it, and the general good and bad of AEW so far, and where they are at this stage. And for this, we've put together an elite panel for today's. That's the end of the bad puns, you'll be pleased to know. And our first guest today um, is a is the co-host of Smart Sports and a contributor to the Voices of Wrestling. Uh, it's been a long time since I've podcasted this man, so it's an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. It's Suit Williams. How are you, Suit? Hello, I am doing well. I did not know you were coming to me first, so I was trying to get my screen all in order. Oh, no, that's half the fun of it, mate. Just gonna like to catch you kind of completely up there if I can get away with it. Screen's all <laughs> sorted now. It's all good. All good. Our second guest is the host of the Deep Dive with Rich Fan on the PW Torch podcast network and is also a co-host on the East Coast cast and all while still managing to be a proud gooner and like me, watching transfer stories appear every sort of 15 seconds on his on his Twitter feed. It's Rich Fan. How are you, Rich? Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Go up the Gunners. And yeah, let's get Thomas Party and Party with this uh, AEW preview. Yeah, I, mate, I like that. Yeah, it's definitely time to hopefully party in a Thomas style way. Our final guest is our returning champion. Last but by no means least, she is one half of the two Sarahs on The Voice of Wrestling and also the co-host of the PWG podcast, Journey Through Gorilla Island. And she's the bowling queen of Europe. Let no one ever tell you otherwise. It's Sarah Flannery. How are you, Sarah? Hi, JP. Thanks for having me back again. And that is that is a great intro. You good with that? I, as yeah. I was saying just before we started recording, it's seeing you bowl. It's it's, it's watching a pro. <laughs> I, I have heard that, and uh, I will take anyone up when we can finally get to normality up for a challenge in, in a bowling alley somewhere around Europe. Oh God, I dream of those days. We're gonna have to, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please. Yeah, a post-COVID world. I don't. I think I'll get completely thrown off if we start off like that. Uh, so, first thing I wanted to do was really sort of ask each of you just about your general AEW fandom at this point, and how much are you kind of regularly watching? Um, Sarah, I'll start off with you first. Yeah, I think my relationship with AEW has actually been really up and down. There are some points of the year where I really get into it. You know, I think at the beginning of this year, you know, I think the latter half of 2019, I wasn't really into it. It kind of fell off the wagon for me. I got really frustrated with a lot of booking decisions, and I just felt like they weren't pushing the right people. But then as we kind of moved into, you know, later January, February, I was, you know, on the wagon. I was totally into everything that they were doing. Everything made sense. Everyone kind of had a clear direction. You know, Hangman Page becoming, you know, one of the biggest stars in the wrestling world. And then I think in COVID times, to be honest, most people with any wrestling, you kind of just fall off and, and you kind of just watch a few parts of it. Um, But yeah, AEW is a weird one for me where I think they have so many of my favorite wrestlers, but they're not necessarily using them how I want to. So I think I'm holding a grudge in that way. But someone else could look at AEW and say, actually, no, they're using those wrestlers in the perfect way what are you complaining about so it's it's kind of a, a tale of two halves i think rich how about you 
I personally watch a good bit. I watch Dark. I watch uh, Dynamite Live, the pay-per-views, et cetera. Typically, I'm covering them for the torch when I can. And uh, I think at some point as a fan, watching New Japan, watching the Bucks and PWG, other locations, watching the growth of the Hangman before he uh, transitioned from New Japan over to AEW and Ring of Honor, of course. Uh, so I've enjoyed it. I've also been, you know, uh, in the in the in the front line of asking the hard questions to Tony Khan regarding uh, representation on their singles roster in terms of black wrestlers, uh, in terms of women providing more time on the on the card and more matches and more matches of quality, not just here, dang, take this. And so part of it's also now me watching to make sure the words that were spoken to me almost a year ago are actually being put to good use, you know, because when I have friends that are telling me AEW Dark is called that because that's where all the black wrestlers wrestle, that's not a good sign. Mm. Yeah, and it's been nearly, and, you know, it's part of the reason for the show, it's been nearly a year as well, and it's about seeing what actual changes has happened in that time. Um, how about you, Sue? Uh, I would consider myself a pretty pretty big fan of AEW so far. Uh it did things did get a little shaky toward the end of 2019 with you know all the spooky stuff you had the um what was brandy's little group called i don't even remember is it the nightmare collective nightmare collective ah yes may they rest in peace um then you had uh dark order just things getting weird but starting in 2020 they got back on their feet and things have been building up pretty well uh, Revol- the build of revolution, I remember just being like all time great build to a pay per view. And then you got in COVID, like I haven't been as up on it, but I think they've done the best of anybody. Mm. Like outside of Japan, outside of like big Japan where they just kept going like normal. Like AEW's kind of adapted well and now they're starting to. They're socially distancing with fans now, starting with this last episode. So they're starting to, like, try and get that environment back. And, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, okay, sure. How do you feel about that? And I suppose uh, for yourself being in the States, the idea that they're sort of expanding like and the idea that they're opening up to fans at the moment it's sort of a very current story the last episode that was only on last night at time of recording had i think about 250 fans it appears to be expanding i mean you live in the state state suit how do you how does how does that feel to you does that feel like given the current situation that they should even be entertaining those thoughts well this goes into a lot of different places where it's our the US's general reaction to this has been bad. And then there's AEW where it's their business and I get it. And also at the same time they are taking the best they are from what I saw taking the precautions. They're, you know, keeping those pods, keeping those like separations in order, keeping everybody distance. I think they kicked some guy out because he wasn't wearing his mask too so they're being like vigilant on it Mm. but as far as like doing it in the first place i mean i get it but at the same time i just like i feel weird about it Mm. how do you feel about that rich I'm, i'm i'm i've been from the start and team what are we doing just go home 
put on a darn mask. And as they've continued both WWE and AEW, I've kind of, you know, given up that that's, that's not going to happen. The, 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 the horse is out of the barn, so to speak. So mm-hmm. just being safe and AEW being smart enough to socially distance their wrestlers. And then all of a sudden, you know, by weeks, you know, weeks and weeks go on and all of a sudden we have a mosh pit of wrestlers face and heel. So I've, I've been kind of conflicted, but I have been very appreciative of the stringent testing they've done and the levels to which they've gone to ensure that the people there are as safe as can be. And then in conversations with folks, there, asking the question of how do you, you know, what's the feeling if you go for an indie show? What if, what if you get a booking and then you come back? It's like, well, if I'm sick and I'm not responsible, I know I'm gone. And if I, if I know that's a prevalent feeling in the back, I think that's something that is pretty respectable to have. Mm. It's, it's kind of like, for, I mean, I'm a teacher and it's one of the things that's going to have to happen is making sure that people completely abide by rules when schools start reopening. Um, Sarah, how do you feel about that in terms of opening up to fans? Because obviously you're a big New Japan fan as well. Um, it's And you've seen the reopening there and obviously it's done in a very different way. Yeah, I think it's really strange, I suppose. such so different in Ireland like that I couldn't even imagine a show happening here when people are attending, you know, numbers are rising um, every day. You know, we kind of went through a really good patch and now we're going through a pretty bad patch. Um, I just think it's, it's pure insanity. I think, you know, I don't blame AW at all because people are going to go to shows, you know, that environment's been created where it's, it's okay for 250 people to go. Mm. So it's kind of like, you can't really hate the player. It's kind of hate the game. You know, like, I definitely wouldn't do it. I wouldn't feel comfortable. But that environment's been created where, you know, people are going to concerts and stuff. I don't think we should get into that. (laughs) But if people are going to concerts with thousands of people, you know, looking at a 250, you know, attended show isn't so bad. Mm. Yeah, and it's, I suppose, one of the benefits of Daly's Place as well, where you appears to be, at least it's spread out. And... I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but as a fan, it's quite nice to have the constant sort of repetition of actually, this is what we're doing. And at least they haven't got their head in the, in the clouds in regards to that. Um, but we've all kind of mentioned the roster at this point. Um, Rich, starting off with you, do you feel, and we're going to start off with, um, the men's division, first of all, because I think the, the women's division is a, is a kind of much bigger, deeper dive. Um, in terms of kind of real structural issues that they've got there as well. But in terms of the star power of the men's side of the roster, do you, how do you feel it is? How do you feel the layout of it is? Do you feel they've got enough people who can, who can headline? Do you feel it's like got a strong uh, middle and undercard? I think so. I think when they started, it was maybe perhaps top heavy or at least the way we interpreted it to be was going to be top heavy. Mm. But what they did with guys like Kenny Omega, putting him to the background, having him be a more developmental guy while you had the rise of Jericho as the anchor, as the big heel, the big bad and developed guys along the way until the signing of Moxley. I think they have a nice balance at the top of the card. And then now they're pulling up the, the MJFs of the world, the jungle boys, orange Cassidy of all people getting ascended in a way that, you know, when, when AEW first started, I had friends who saw Orange Cassidy and they're like, I don't get this guy, especially during the, uh, the battle Royal mm. wh- when everyone's losing their mind as he's doing his, his spots. And so seeing him now ascend to a point where he's up against Jericho and it isn't a joke. Uh, I think that's good. I think what they're starting to do now with Scorpio, if they maintain it is a good thing. 
I think the bottom of the card, they have a lot of folks that are waiting for that shot to ascend. The middle of the card is pretty solid. The one thing I would say is they have to be careful with Cody because they did that stipulation where he can't currently wrestle for the AEW championship. If he's still mired with the TNT title, that's going to make a situation where you kind of have a, a rubbernecking or a log jam and folks outside of a Brody Lee will never really be seen as valid threats. And so if they can fix that and make it a little bit more like uh, one person that sticks out to me that uh, really needs to get it is uh, Joey Janela. I, I, I argued when they signed him, they really signed the, uh, ambassador to the indies a guy who's the best scout like i you mentioned arsenal getting a player that now become a scout that knows brazil as well as he knows the balkans and i think having someone like that who knows everyone's cool with everyone is essential because not everyone's going to like each other in a wrestling company but you should have someone that can be a glue guy or gal that they can at least go to and iron things out when that doesn't happen yeah Absolutely. Um, Sarah, uh, in terms of the, the roster and looking at that, do you feel that they've done a good job, certainly in, in recent weeks, of, of elevating some of the, the kind of mid-card mid into that kind of upper mid-card role? Yeah, I think so. And I think even with some of their new signings as well, and like how they've kind of put them on the map straight away, like Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston, kind of the two big names that were signed in COVID times, they've kind of made them guys feel important. You know, Ricky Starks getting a match on the upcoming pay-per-view and, and Eddie Kingston, you know, the wink scene around the world. You know, these guys, they've immediately made them feel important. And I think they are responding to fan reaction as well. I think that's one thing we can say about AEW is, you know, Tony Khan's reading tweets. Sure, he responds to some of them and, and he really picks up on it. So I feel like they're listening to us when we're screaming for these people to be elevated. And that is the thing. There are so many people that they could still even do more with. Like, I always just think of best friends and specifically Trent, you know, if they were to ever break up, you know, in that really heavy tag team division, you know, best friends, are one of my favorite tag teams, but I know they're never going to be the tag team of AEW. They could easily break him off and elevate him. You know, he's definitely a guy for the TNT title. I think there's a lot of things that they can do with people and they are doing a really good job um, with making people feel important. I just think it's there's so much backlog there mm. that they need to just do it one at a time and not try and elevate too many people at once because then it kind of just, I suppose, what's the word? It, it gets diluted then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the word, diluted. You know, you need to make people feel important when it's their time. And, you know, the guys who have, like, I think Ricky Starks has really taken the ball and has run with it. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to go and do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you feel in terms of, and I suppose I'm going to ask you a question from a sort of almost a, um, a match rate perspective as well. One of the things might be, uh, and I suppose it's really kind of specific to Kenny Omega, and it was a, a point that, that we had on Grapple Spotlight a, a little while ago where we were discussing that that perhaps some people look at Omega as somewhat of a letdown, but also the Kenny Omega from New Japan couldn't be there because is there the kind of opponent out there that he can have those types of matches with? Um, your thoughts, yeah, top of the card and, and kind of how it is possibly from that kind of work rate perspective as well. Well, I think, I think what AEW is doing with Kenny, like at the moment, mm. is kind of just keeping him on the back burner because I've said it like since AEW started, they could heat Kenny up in two, two weeks. Mm. 
that's really all it would take to get Kenny ready for like a world title top of the card thing. Mm. But as far as like the people he can have matches with that could get to that like top level, that like New Japan level, I don't think there's anybody on the roster that can peak as high as Okada. But I do think there are people he can work with that can have that he can have really good matches with. We've seen him have a really good hardcore match with John Moxley. We've seen him have the classic, you know, that Iron Man match with Pac. He's, uh, and then, you know, they've got guys with talent like on the like in like the mid card that rising talent pool too, where it's like. He could have a good match with Darby. He could have a good match with Jungle Boy. He could have a good match with Ricky Starks, who I'm already ready to put in that, like, next up-and-comer role. Mm. Like, they've got Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix there. He can have great matches with them, too. They're kind of just around. So it's like they have a lot of talent, and and they have an ability to, like, kind of pick and pull when it comes to, like, the tag teams and, like, the little units they have of, like, who they rise up and who they, like, put on the side. They have a lot of guys who all they need is a little bit of a little bit of momentum and then the ball's rolling on them. Yeah, it is that case, isn't it? And, and I think at times maybe we forget that it's it's that experience being in the limelight and then people grow into that. And then that's where you can kind of find your main eventers, really, can't you? I mean, it's... It's interesting we talked about sort of some of the depth of the men's division. Um, tag teams is a slightly different kettle of fish. Do any of you feel that it's really overloaded at this point, the tag team division? Maybe it seems mean. It seems a bit churlish to criticise it. But um, I don't know. Sarah, do you, um, how do you feel about the tag, div- tag team division at this point? Yeah, I think there's so many. Well, you have, obviously, you have... Page and Omega, mm. you have Lucha Brothers, you have the Young Bucks, you have Butcher and Blade, you have now FTR, and they're just kind of your top level. And as you move down, you have so many other ones. And I feel like they're all just now lumped into multi-man matches, and there's just too much going on. Mm. Like I think now that we're reaching the point where we are going to see Omega and Page break off in their own separate things because they kind of need to, to let the tag team division have kind of breathing room. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's just, it, it's weird how it's gotten so top heavy, but I suppose it's, it's kind of the polar opposite to other companies like WWE who just throw tag teams together and they don't even get really much of a focus. So I think it's kind of being like, well, look what we're doing. We have this really strong tag division and making tag team wrestling feel important again, which mm-hmm. is great because like, for all for the amount of backlog that they have it really has been their strength you know when you look back it is the tag team division you know that potential match of the year with the books and and omega and page you know that's going to be one that everyone remembers at the end of the year so coming through i think it is kind of overloaded but then i'm also kind of thinking if you break some of those tag teams up and put them in you know just the singles division then that's going to get overloaded and they're they're not going to get their shine. So I feel like they just have all these whole hosts of names and it's kind of some people are sitting there. Like you do look at the likes of Pentagon and Phoenix and wonder before they were signed, they were like 
to considered like the best in the world traveling to so many different countries and doing so many different things and i think phoenix especially was considered to be one of the top 10 wrestlers in the world to have them just sitting there kind of floating it is really interesting and like you would nearly prefer to see them broken up Mm. Uh, instead of being in the tag team division, you know they had their they had their feud with the books, which is really really good. But again, it's kind of like anyone who's watched independent wrestling is kind of like, oh, we've seen all this before. So I think it actually. Sorry, now I'm going on a tangent. No, it no, would no. be really it would be interesting to see if people who hadn't seen them before what they actually think of the Lucha Brothers coming in because they probably have such a different perspective. Mm. It, it's the one that always comes to mind in terms of. Uh, I, I was going to ask in a little bit about people they may well have missed a trick on. And you kind of think actually of how much you could get out of the Lucha Brothers, I think Phoenix in particular. I don't know, Rich, I mean, do you feel at this point that they've, like, is this part of a longer term thing of rebuilding the tag division so you can get it to headline pay-per-views? And in a sort of post-COVID world, if that's even possible, um, that we have, and if they're running more pay-per-views and running more sort of big super shows, that the tag division is going to be needed to headline those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's part of that four-headed beast that are the executive directors. You have four disparate or five disparate visions because you have the Bucks who want to make tag team uh, wrestling just the, 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 the top of of the card and as awesome as it can be. You have Kenny who's uh, desire to bring a style and a fun verve and strong women's division uh, coupled with his DDT kind of like devil on his shoulder that occasionally shows up to tell him you should do this. Uh, and then Cody basically wants to remake the eighties mid Atlantic territory. And so it's like playing wrestling manager, like EWR yeah. with like four different settings. And depending on the day of the week, Tony Khan has to like go in and look at, okay, this guy was in here last. Let me see what the, and him is the mastermind kind of navigating all of it. I think the tag division, while it is, uh, I, I think bloated's kind of hard because they're all quality wrestlers. It's not like there's a single tag team. They have even the nightmare, uh, not the collective, the uh natural nightmares natural nightmares i had i had my qualms about them thank you suit but i I thought i think they're a pretty good team and i love dustin settling into that veteran role where he can be the old dog that even in that eight-man tag they had this week where he does the spot he did it uh a double or nothing uh, where he does the ropes and then has to catch his breath while all the young guys are like, are you okay? Do you need a, do you need a minute? And, and I, I just, I appreciate that. So I think that, and, and then you have guys like private party who they signed the Bucks, one of their first signings and is such a young team that has to learn while on television. And so I think it's good. I think in time it can be main event. And I think that time's going to be sooner than we think, to be honest. Mm. I mean, um, for yourself, suit. I mean, do you think that that? I mean, it's funny they've got FTR. I don't know how you felt about FTR since they've come in. I know on a personal level, I've really enjoyed their matches and just a different way of of, of a different kind of tag team in there. Do you feel that once they've managed to move sort of Ke- um, Kenny and Hangman out of there, which looks likely to happen, it, it makes sense storyline wise what they've set out for for All Out. Do you feel at that at that point then there's going to be perhaps that kind of more focused feuds that maybe they need? I would say so, because I'm pull- I am pulled up the uh, the uh, all-controversial AEW rankings from this past week. 
uh, and I'm just looking at it. Uh, number five is the Dark Order. Number four is the Natural Nightmares. Three is the Young Bucks. Two is the Best Friends. Number one's FTR. And then you got the Champs Omega and Page. Think of how many teams are on this roster that aren't on that list. Like how many really good teams that aren't on that list and that they could just go to whenever they want. Like, you know, Lucha Brothers, Private Party, Jurassic Express. SCU. Hybrid 2. SCU. Hybrid 2. There you go. My guy's the initiative. All they need is that one win on dark. It's coming, folks. You, oh, what's that other jobber team on dark? Um, oh, Luther and Serpenico. They have a name now. And I don't remember what it is. They got them too. And it's like, they've got a lot of things they can move around and a lot of stuff that they can do with this tag team division. It's kind of been, I don't want to say stuck on Omega and Page because they're my tag team of the year, but like everybody else is kind of just waiting. And then once that move happens, mm-hmm. we could get a lot more stuff coming uh, once once we move on from Omega and Page, which looks like it's going to happen soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, to be honest, does it feel like a natural end to that to that story? Or we move on to the next stage of it as well, where you've got sort of hangman torn between the elite yeah. and and going with the the new horseman um to move on i suppose and in a lot of ways we've been very positive about the, the sort of state of the men's division and the tag team division but the women's division has been probably one of the more sort of contentious um areas certainly in kind of fan debate um i'm going to start off with with you sarah how do you feel Overall, what do you feel about the AEW women's division? <laughs> That's oh. a loaded question, isn't it? It it's, is. It's, yeah. It really is the topic of discussion. I mean, I actually do feel quite sorry for them because I think COVID has completely ravaged what was an okay division beforehand. You know, I think their reliance on the Joshi roster is coming from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. And, you know, like they're they added such life to the division and just made it feel it, it made it feel like something that you needed to watch because it wasn't something that you'd ever really seen on on TV before you know like i you know what maybe heard of one or two of them before even watching AEW and i think it really introduced people to that style and i think that's something that they were doing really well whilst it kind of felt disjointed, like there was maybe two women's divisions. You had the Joshi and you had the, you know, the, the normal Western style women's division kind of running at the same time. But I think now with travel restrictions and Britt Breaker's injury, I think it's really left them in a really difficult hole. Um, you know, and I can really understand why people want to see them getting more attention because the only way, you know, their current roster is going to get better is by having on-screen time and ring time and mm. be getting to perform in front of, you know, cameras. But also, on the other hand, I do see it's like, well, you can't really put out green people on television and have their confidence shot if they're going to wrestle a really bad match. You know, it might be best to have them on the YouTube show or have them in that tournament that they had on YouTube, which did pretty good numbers as well. Mm. I mean, it did show interest, and I think people are just dying for women to be on television. But I think you need to give members of their roster time. And I I think we just need to be really patient with them. Like, Hikaru Shida is one of my favorite 
you know, performers on the roster, like regardless of gender. I think, you know, her match at Double or Nothing with um with Nina Rose was fantastic and it was it was actually one of my favorite AW matches of the year. So like when they are being put in those big spots, you know, the the, the top performers in the division are really performing quite well. Um but you know, I think they're really missing you know, the, the foreign talent, you know, Chris Statlander getting injured and being out for months, who was one of their big projects, has really hindered their, their you know, their path with what they were doing with their division. So should they be doing a little bit more? Probably yes. But is the talent there to do it? No. <laughs> so it really is hard and I can't wait to be cancelled for this because everyone's going to be screaming at me that there needs to be more women. Um, like, but I will say, like, Hikaru Shida is doing a great job. I think Penelope Ford is is getting better and better, but she is still quite green, you know. And Britt Baker is definitely making the most of her time on air, and I think she is going to be a star. So, yeah, Sue, for you, how do you feel what they've done with the the women's division? I think Sarah brings up some interesting points. I mean, do they have to play Moneyball? with the talent that they have. Essentially, I would agree with that. Um, even though I've never seen Moneyball, I need to fix that. It's oh, a yeah. people tell me it's a great movie, but it should be terrible. Like if somebody told you it's about statistics in baseball to me who doesn't follow baseball, it should be the worst, but I promise you watch it. It's <laughs> glorious. I've seen clips. It looks very good. That Brad Pitt, he can act. He's done all right uh, for himself. What were we talking about? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The women. Um yeah, it's it's hard because it feels like AEW's like tried a lot of things and a lot of those things end up getting like end up having to swerve into something else because something falls through as far as with the women. Cause you had to start, it felt like they were gonna build around the Joshi while the uh while the American women kind of like developed underneath. Then you had whatever happened with Kylie Ray, and now that she's gone, and then you had whatever you were doing with the Nightmare Collective, and that just gets put off to the side. And now, now you've got COVID where you can't bring in those Yoshi. So now all you have is like a very small top of the card mm. with a mid card that has potential but needs work to to achieve that potential and in the meantime we're you know there's going to be some rough patches but i i've heard a lot of people say that AEW like doesn't care about the women's division and that's something that i disagree with because we've because over over time they've tried like different things and they've been bringing people in like recently with this uh women's tournament tag team tournament they've run they use that to introduce ivelisse and um diamante Diamante in uh onto the national scene and they brought in people like um nicole savoy and people who put it kindly we wouldn't think of like cameron yeah and you know, now they're bringing in Thunder Rosa and giving her a title shot on pay-per-view. So it's like they're trying some things. What they have now as a division just isn't working. And that's partly because of injuries as well. Because Britt Baker and Statlander would have, they would have been playing parts in this mm-hmm. for 
from the sheer fact that they would have to right now. So they're trying to like get some new blood in and trying to increase that top level talent. But at the end of the day, they still the majority of that division is people who still need work to get to that top line mm. status. Because like Big Swole, she's very charismatic. She's funny. Like I think she could get to the top mm. at some point. Penelope Ford's got very athletic, got a lot of talent. She's just got to work it through. But one, but it's gonna take some time for them to get there. And I think AEW is trying to make that disparity a little less, a little less noticeable, I guess would be the word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, Rich. You, you've spoken to uh, Tony Khan. You've asked him these questions in terms of representation. And, and um, one of the things I want to speak about is in terms of representation of women and about how, uh, what do you feel they can do to, to help improve it because it's it was a difficult landscape when they started off in the sense that obviously there's a much, there's a there's a smaller pool of women wrestlers to kind of pick from and a lot of those it felt like had already been signed up to WWE they just sort of almost ravaged the kind of in the independent landscape and they're kind of stuck in this do you feel they're stuck in this kind of netherworld where they're trying to develop people on TV in front of our eyes I think they were and I think suit and Sarah brought up good points as far as like the way the original plan went and then how plans change. Mm. And one thing I would want to highlight that the plans changed for the better when it came to looking at what happened with a uh, big swole mm. because the pandemic has been essential in getting her spotlighted and getting her put into that spot. Because before that she would have been behind all those other people and may have been just an also ran but her natural talent, her charisma, and getting that television time. Because I think a lot of this has been, you're running in, uh, both an independent promotion and the number two wrestling promotion in America at the same time. Mm. You're trying to figure out and develop people. You're also trying to keep a television show afloat. And so with some of those women, when you had the Japanese talent, the Joshi talent, you had so many good crisp matches that you could pull out. You could have someone like every single match, when they came here to Pittsburgh, by the beginning of the match, you would think, okay, we don't, they don't know who these women are. And by the end, they're cheering and people are on their feet. That's how effective those Joshi women were when they were working together. But now you've got to develop the characters. I think the Brit's injury was the best thing to happen to her because it developed this new Brit Baker. Her relationship with Tony Khan is akin to Jericho and Ralphus. And it's been hilarious to see that develop in real time. And then you flip it. And I think when you mentioned it, I know Suit said he hasn't seen it. The one key takeaway you should see with Moneyball is you're finding market inefficiencies and making them play out to your benefit. Which, again, how is that a movie and how is that entertaining? Well, in the case of pro wrestling, it's finding the people that may not necessarily be there. Like Anna Jay. She's a great example. A trainee from, I believe it was, uh, 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 hmm, QT Marshall School. I think it was QT Marshall School. So the Nightmare Factory, or what's now become the Nightmare Factory. Hmm. And so she's done well for herself. And, but they've developed her a little here, a little here, almost like bleeding someone in when you think about soccer, bringing someone onto the first team. And, you know, JP's right. I've got 
Arsenal in the back of my head when I think about that in their under 23s. Bakayo uh, Saka. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So she's there for Bakara Saka or maybe even I'd be fair, to be fair to her more for Reese Nelson. She's kind of like gone on loan other places. She's come back in. She's figuring it out. Uh, but I think for the women themselves, figuring out a way to bring them more talent, it's tough with WWE. Because they're the dream, they're the standard. Like someone like, you know, Mercedes Martinez would have been a great pick. But, you know, the lower WWE, the guaranteed money, et cetera, that was a tough pick. But when you think about the tag team tournament, the first team I thought about was the Bird and the Bee. They could have been a great tag team because Solo Darling by herself would be an essential person that you could bring in. She has that look that's very distinctive. She's a strong wrestler and her personality and background animal. She's an animal friend, a friend of animal. I don't, I don't know. She, she loves the, she loves all animals, big and small. And that ties in naturally with what the roads have done in terms of their advocacy for animals and, sh- and, and everything they do with their dog and all the stuff they did for like, uh, uh, inclusive environments for folks with sensory issues. I think she would fit in right in with that. Just like when I think of a John Cena with WWE, a great, a, a good wrestler, better person to represent you off mm. the, off the mat, so to speak. So I think they can do that. They still have opportunities. I mean, look at beyond, look at IWTV. You got tons of women out there who might not have had television experience in WWE or impact, but can still make an impact for them if they want to. The question is how many people do you sign now? And then when you get the borders open, does that affect the number of women that you would have brought in for your plans? Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? And um, I can kind of see that they seem they they tapped into a real good reservoir of talent, um, and it's something that I kind of want to um, ask in terms of. I always think as well sometimes with the women's division, part of the problem is is that one of the easiest solutions you would imagine is to sign somebody up. But obviously, when it comes to sort of really anyone around the world, that even could probably go into a degree that there wouldn't be anyone they could sign up from, say, Bushy Road or Stardom to be able to kind of make that instant impact. If you could sign Sasha Banks in an ideal world, that's the kind of stuff that immediately brings stuff to the kind of top of a division as well. Um, although, as we've all kind of discussed, like really, who would be that ace that you could create that kind of dream match scenario if you are going to try and make a big signing at some point so it's it's kind of trying to rebuild those stocks isn't it and trying to kind of build them up and develop them and and like you said rich it's that american independent scene is is restocking i i thought it was a good weekend for american independent wrestling the last weekend and there were a lot of really good talent out there so it's it's going to be definitely interesting to follow and i just actually want to um a follow up on a point that you mentioned earlier on because one of the things that obviously you've mentioned was uh, representation with Tony Khan. Um, how do you feel they've done in terms of representation of wrestlers of color? I, I think it's a difficult question because this is something I struggled with the whole year, to be quite honest. Uh, and it also leads to one of the women I think they could sign, but is the elephant in the room, and that's Tessa Blanchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would fit all those, but her issues are you can't you can't shove them under a rug you either have to face them or you have to do what WWE would do and ignore them and that's that might be fatal for them in terms of everything they claim to stand for and it kind of ties into this i think overall when you say wrestlers of color a lot of times people use it as a euphemism for black Mm. i think for wrestlers of color actually they've done a good job you have representation from latino latinx black 
Uh, no, not too many Middle Eastern, though they have the one gentleman that's on Dark. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, yeah. Native Americans uh, in terms of Nyla Rose as, as well. Native America. Yeah. So you have all these uh, different races, creeds, religions, uh, 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 cultures that are represented and represented without them being uh, caricatures. Like there isn't a person I can point to in AEW and I'm like, come on, man. Like I saw this in 1986 and I thought it was racist then. What are you doing? The problem when it comes to black wrestlers is mainly the single scene. You have Scorpio. And this is what the second or third time he's been on as a singles wrestler on Dynamite. You have all these great wrestlers like the Captain Sean Dean. You have uh, the Emperor who's been wrestling on Dark a lot. You have, uh, shoot, Pineapple Pete. Mm. He's there. He gets TV time, but he loses. He's a guy who should challenge and win the TNT title at some point and sit him down and talk about his journey through wrestling in the United States, wrestling in England, learning his craft, learning who he is, being okay with who he is. Not too dissimilar, honestly, from what Big E is doing in his journey in WWE, talking about, I am not going to compromise and be quote unquote serious when I know I've been in my career and made the most money being myself. I, I think opening those doors and doing that will be essential for them because right now I it's it's and, and that the thing that's hard for me, and when I'm on Twitter, I try not to because I don't want to become AEW Defense Force. I want to be fair about it. And I also want to look at Tony Khan and company are booking long term. If this was WWE and you were going to have seven world title reigns by the end of your first year, absolutely. One of them better be a black dude. But when you have two title reigns in a year and it's Moxley and it's Jericho, I can't complain about it. Hmm. Especially if you're a and startup as well, aren't you? Which is what yeah. they are. Like, for me, honestly, I thought at this point it would have been Omega and Jericho. Or Omega and maybe, at the time before he lost that uh, that match, uh, Cody. And I would have been fine with it because the logic dictated. This isn't like, when you look at NXT, I was very frustrated. And I don't want to turn this into an NXT ADW thing. I was very frustrated that when they talked about Big E and then they talked about Keith Lee... They didn't talk about the fact that there was almost a seven-year dichotomy between Big E being an NXT champion and Keith Lee. Or the fact that Keith Lee had that title, and it basically was in contest to an AEW show. Like That that was very frustrating to me to see that. And I, I, I also uh, would go so far as to say with AEW, a lot of the mistakes are made are kind of self-inflicted wounds. Uh, one of the best examples is Chris Bay. That I was on the conference call with Cody, asked him about wrestlers. He said, hey, right now I'm looking at this Chris Bay character. I'm thinking about maybe we could talk to him. Impact announces that afternoon they signed him. Hmm. That's a self-inflicted wound. Now you're stepping on a rake you didn't have to. If you're going to sign him, sign him. Don't tell me you're thinking about signing him, and then another company signs him. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. It's it's It seems to me, I mean... It's when you mentioned in terms of the, the, the male singles wrestlers in particular that there is such a notable absence of wrestlers of colour in the, in the top echelons. And um, I'm going to ask you, Sue, um, I mean, earlier on we mentioned about Scorpio Sky, and he seems perfect as someone who is, let's face it, a relatively fresh face. You know, yes, he appeared in skits with Daniel Bryan and he was an impact that, that long time ago. But as someone who you're building up a kind of natural journey as experiencing like the sort of first big push as a single star, 
it still seems like he's relegated between Dark and Dynamite. And, you know, in order to bring up something that Rich said earlier on about, like, why people have possibly suggested that AEW Dark is called AEW Dark, because that's where they put, they put black wrestlers on primarily. Uh, I think with Scorpio, like, we're at the start of his, like, singles run, because they clearly like him. That whole, that initial tag team title tournament was centered around him. He subbed in for Daniels when Daniels couldn't go. He won the match in his street clothes in the first round. And it led up to them winning the title and eventually led up to him getting uh, a world title shot against Jericho when he was the first guy to pin Jericho. Mm. So they clearly like him. And I think this um, association with the Nightmare family can only help him because it's him like getting in with Cody and it'll eventually lead to something building up for him, maybe long term. They're already teasing but, a Brody Lee match, aren't they? Very yeah, soon. yeah. And I don't know when that like eight man tag is gonna be, but I think either him or Cardone is gonna get the fall on that and get a title shot down the line. But we can we can talk about that later. But as far as that goes, like I think a lot of that is part of partly bringing in some indie names to like try out on dark because they've done that with a lot of guys but as rich is saying you know if you're gonna sign somebody sign them Mm. don't let impact or ring of honor like snatch them up and that's what that's what AEW did with ricky starks like he shows up he he's just fantastic and now he's in a main feud with darby allen and now it feels like now i'm already putting him in that next man up class where he's like okay, this guy could be a world champion in two, three years. Like, this guy could be TNT champion next year. Like, they, it's, it's weird because a lot of the guys they started with, you know, are just, you know, your regular old white guys. But now those are kind of, now like your Sean Spears and your Kip Sabians are kind of settling to the middle, whereas guys like Scorpio and Ricky are like rising up. So it's that's I don't want to say promising to see, but it is it's good to see that 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 they're flexible with like they aren't stuck in on like, okay, this guy's a star. He's going to be a star. He's a star. I'm telling you, he's a star like WWE would do not to like Mm. not to be that way. But, you know, with Roman Reigns coming back, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so. They're flexible with it, and I think as more guys come through and as time goes on, we'll see we'll see how that goes. We gotta hold, keep holding them to account, but the way they're going now, it's a good they're in a good direction, I believe. At least it's you can tell that things are kind of on a positive track necessarily, that it's at least not regressive that like you right, mentioned. Right. And this is where I'm gonna go into kind of things about the storylines. And uh Sarah, gonna start off with you because we mentioned there about kind of like that that's part of obviously trying to develop a roster over a long period of time. How do you feel they've done with their kind of storylines? Now we're not gonna do a deep dive into all of them necessarily, but how do you feel they've done from a creative perspective? I feel like they've been pretty 50-50 so far. I think the things that they've done well 
they've done really, really well on and they've been really captivating. Like I'll say here and now, like I'm not the biggest fan of Cody and I never have been. It's just a personal preference. He's never been my favorite, but I think what he's done in building up the TNT title and just his story in AEW has been executed so perfectly, you know, from the get go, they really kind of hammered home. Okay. This is Cody Rhodes. Oh, this is Cody. This is what he's about. And his, his, yeah. Oh, sorry. McDevitt's Um, listening. (laughs) Um, they've really established, you know, Cody as that. Like he is the guy, even if he's not on top, you know, Cody's kind of the heart and soul of AEW. And I think how they've executed, uh, Hangman after such a poor start and in trying to kind of push him too high too quick um in the title scene you know he was initially in that match with Jericho which everyone was kind of you know is that really the way you want to go to start off the company is he really going to be able to perform and I think they've kind of done a really good job of okay pulling him back and and pushing his story as you know the drunk essentially which is hilarious but then kind of the things you know they've been so stop start on like again Brandy's faction that just went away and you know there's things that kind of start and they don't really get going like Asha Kong was around and she was going to build something up with with Amazing Kong where did that go like mm. that seemed that just happened for a week and, and disappeared um and even when it comes to stuff with Jericho and you know Orange Cassidy that's kind of one of the big matches at the moment it all just seems very strange and they're bringing in Eric Bischoff to monitor you know a debate and they're bringing in Mike Tyson to nearly fall asleep whilst he's watching matches at pay-per-views like some of the things that they've done has been quite strange you know I feel like they're just trying too much sometimes you know like if you want to be the long-term storyline people you know and have that long-term thing that's great but then you can't have this mess kind of underneath it and then kind of shoving it in you know into the closet to be like Mm. oh ignore that we've been doing a great job look at what we've done you know look at moxley at the top of the card and look at mgf like he's now in the main event after having that really good story with cody then not really doing anything but look he's there now Mm. (laughs) you know i feel like they get there eventually with a lot of things but it, it does get messy along the way and i think i don't want to be too hard on them because there's not that many companies that are doing that at a really high level mm. and what dynamite's been on just for over well it's not even been a year yet has yeah. it it's coming up to a year so i feel like you kind of have to give them a bit of slack because look at their competition they don't even have stories so I, I, I tend to forgive them along the way for, for the messiness and I think they do get there eventually with a lot of their stories so how how do you feel about their storyline and their booking suit um, there's a lot of stuff there that Sarah mentions where there's the kind of the real hit and miss stuff do you feel they're getting it more right than wrong now at this point does the uh, as the great filter of uh, well we call him big tone I know voices like to call him uh, mid-south tone Mid-South Tony. I mean, is he starting, like, do you feel that he's kind of got a handle as the kind of final voice in the room on on which stories to go with? I would say so now. Like, again, the end of 2019 was very rough. Things were kind of cluttered, and it felt like they didn't 
there wasn't like one direction. Everybody was kind of just angling off into their own things. But once that new year hit and once they started like that build the revolution, which was fantastic. And then, you know, the build the double or nothing kind of got wrecked with the, that was when all the COVID stuff started. Mm. So I feel like everything's kind of more focused now. And, you know, it's very hard to judge AEW like on its own and not compare it to WWE because their stuff is so just thrown together and changed at the last minute that it makes AEW, which the booking has been good, it makes the good stuff seem so much better Mm. because you've got this garbage on the side that's just like amplifying it. But if you're to judge it on its own, it feels kind of like the old WCW style, like Nitro era style, where it's like, all right, here's the top of the card. Here's like the title matches and the big angles we're focusing on. And then like the undercard will kind of, we have ideas for it and we have like kind of a direction for it, but we're kind of just going to let that fall into place as it comes. Like if a guy gets hot, we'll give him something to do, so on and so forth. So as far as that goes, I kind of like that style because, you know, the main events are what kind of focuses people. It's what gets the most attention. Like if the main event of a show is good, then people are likely to say like, hey, that whole show was pretty good. Brody Brody Lee Cody being the kind of case in point. Right. It was right. a relatively kind of middling episode of Dynamite, but that storyline and that angle at the end kind of brought people left on a high, didn't they? Exactly. You leave them wanting more, leave on that high note. So I like that style. Um, they could, like if the they could do that through the whole show and like have everything have like a defined direction. That would be good because there are kind of like some things that kind of feel like they're floating. Like they'll have like tag matches and like kind of just random trios matches that don't feel like they're going anywhere, but they are good. Mm. So if they could like focus that a little bit more, that'd be great. But as far as what they're doing now, I'm enjoying it, especially like during COVID to have like these directions and just with the talent roster that was fluctuating between like Georgia and and Jacksonville, the way they've kind of like kept steady and just kept their focus going. I've been impressed with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Rich, how do you feel about it in terms of the, 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 just in general, the kind of storylines and there's a lot of really great points that, um, that Sarah and Sue have mentioned in, in terms of where perhaps they've been too convoluted at times. Do you feel though at this point, and this is probably leading on to some of a discussion about Tony Khan himself, but as that kind of final voice in the room, do you feel like he's a, he's, he's sort of filtering the process better? Do you think that they're all getting much more a handle on what it'll take to run a TV product? Because at the risk of sounding, I suppose I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate. The last week, if we think of kind of the show, they had a tape. They, they, they t- if I told you they'd have a table match and an eight man tag and a contract signing, you'd probably be rolling your eyes in a kind of another universe. Pardon the pun. Yeah, I think. I think a lot of it's a balance because it, when they when he finally took the book kind of full time in December and 
reorganize things when it was hodgepodge those first few months mm-hmm. there was the organization and the vision kind of you could see a clear change after that spooky episode kind of brought everyone down with dark order uh but i think on the whole they've done better there's still going to be some things that's always going to be a little sport like this week was sports entertaining and i think some of that was because of the move and because of uh, the day changes and stuff, but I think they still kept their spine of what they wanted to do. They didn't do that at the expense of the tag division or the women's division. Though, mm. pardon me, I would say the women's division in particular, that match was a little rough, mainly because, as both Suit and Sarah mentioned, going into the bringing in Penelope and putting her in that spot, mm. putting Reba in that spot, it's tough. And then now you have Swole having to carry two people and that that's a lot for a televised match. And I think doing what you can with what you can. And I think their numbers, it was like 813 or something for last night. So mm-hmm. that's really good considering the day change and considering everything going on. So mission accomplished. But I think the long-term stories, as long as they keep on that path and they don't deviate for the sake of got to got to change up for the Marks bro or any of that silliness, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively, you're saying kind of, you know, ignore the likes of us, really, and carry on the direction that that, that they're going in at the moment. And it's, and it's, it's funny. I mean, and, and I suppose it's one final point that I kind of want to finish off off on this because it's, it, in terms of that coherency with Tony Khan and the storylines, um, do you feel that there's anyone really that they're kind of maybe that they're dropping the ball with because if you can think of a storyline that they've res- uh, they've completely done a great job in resurrecting it would be the dark order would be kind of the obvious point but do you feel that there's any like and we mentioned some of the storylines but is there any that that kind of you feel that they should be better for what they're doing in terms of like some of the things they're organizing together sarah um i don't think there's really one big one that I can really point to, but I think like, I feel like two wrestlers that are kind of competing for kind of the same role right now are like Lance Archer and Brian Cage. I feel like they've both been brought in. They both kind of had similar starts. They have their manager and they're kind of meant to both tear through the roster as these big, strong guys. Mm. Like I think bringing in Brian Cage kind of didn't give Lance Archer the room to breathe. Mm. And I think. Lance is a far more compelling character. I don't know if that's biased because I loved his run in New Japan, um, you know, for 2019. He's got cracking theme music as well. I'll throw that out there. He does. It gets stuck in your head. And I, you know, he, I know he just shouts, everybody dies all the time, but there's something about him that you can kind of catch on to. Or I feel as Brian Cage and Taz, whereas I I think Taz actually is quite brilliant. Mm. There's nothing to really catch on to. So I feel like they're both just, cannibalizing each other's roles on the roster um, and they're kind of both fighting each other for that same position which I, hasn't helped I mean yeah Brian Cage is a bit, was a big name on the independence um, and did a really good run in Impact but it just, it just doesn't feel like either of them have kind of gotten the, the time and chance that they deserve um, to, to be that big star that they should be Rich, I wanted to actually ask you, because it's one of the things that I mentioned there about sort of Taz and Jake Roberts and the managers. 
Is there too many managers that they have at the moment? Is there too many veterans they have around? And it's possibly, like, that sounds really bad, like I'm thinking, talking as if they're like TNA, when they talk about too many veterans in the rise and the like. But do you feel that's a bit of a problem that they have at the moment? That it's, it's, it's almost like what Sarah says, where sometimes some of these roles are kind of cannibalizing each other? I do, but I also I don't I, I agree with Sarah in that there there are there there is the cannibalization, but I don't think there's too many because so many of them do different things. One of the key parts for me is Tully does such a different job than Arn. Arn essentially is his his gravitas is getting passed with Cody, and he doesn't really do too much outside of maybe the occasional side promo as assistance. Uh, like I really loved his how about this warhorse fella. Like, like his, he, he, he does that good, like that, that nugget. Whereas Tully, um, I think is really providing a personality where there's none at times for Spears and providing that legitimacy of tag team heritage for the FTR guys. And that's a dream come true for them. Mm. Half, half for the tag team that they kind of idolize, manage them is just like they're over the moon, I'm sure. And then Taz, I did not see Taz coming. Him and Cage is probably one of the most fun pairings I've seen in you, almost like Brock and uh, Paul, mm. which is again, that generational thing. Paul's kind of passed that torch on to him. And Taz can now be that fiery manager that carries these guys forward in their careers where, where I start to get a little iffy is the Vicky's and bringing in the Bischoff's. And when you're bringing in too many of the WWE guys, like if, I hand hand uh, hand hand the, a stack of Bibles. I swear, if he was there right now, Stokely Hathaway would be the best manager in it, and 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 for them, for any wrestler they would have, he would have such an impact for them. And I mean, Bivens Enterprises. I don't know what they're doing right now in NXT, but I love Stokely's work on the Indies, and I think he would be great. I I, I really think that some of those vets would be better in the back, just as coaches. Because I know AEW does a good job calling them coaches instead of potentially producers or agents. Mm. Uh, I think that would be a good job for a lot of them to kind of say, hey, slow it down a tick. Maybe you want to add this. I think that would be more helpful than a lot of them being predominantly on air. Mm. Or even if the, yeah, if they maybe even just start to filter people out slowly once they've kind of done that initial job of getting them over on TV. Yeah. Um, so I suppose slightly changing tack on this from a kind of business perspective um obviously one of the things that they've managed to succeed in in terms of staying in existence is get a paid tv tv deal with tnt they've like you mentioned about the ratings a uh, little while back rich it's what 813 last night i i haven't been on on twitter what i wonder what snowboy's cat's tweet did for that one as well um but they've <laughs> but they've they've kind of hit their you know are their ratings at a point for how it is, given the circumstances, given the kind of crazy, fragmented na- nature of TV? I know, Sue, you've done a fair bit of research with this in terms of uh, having a look at, uh, at some of these TV ratings and, and, and how they've kind of gone. How do you feel it is in terms of uh, a general overall trend? Well, if you remember, like... In the past times of October 2019, if you can remember that far back, God, remember when we could go outside and like see people? Yeah, yeah, crazy. Was that happening? Was that not a dream that we had or something? It seems. I don't know, man. (laughs) But back then, the I believe like the 
starting point for AEW as far as TNT went was like they were expecting like 400,000 viewers or like half a million or something. And then they start with 1.4 million and everyone's just like, whoa, okay, so this is good. And so they've settled around like between 800, 900,000 viewers on like a good week, like the floor being like seven or something. Mm. And then the demo, let's get granular <laughs> with uh, the demo getting to be around around point three. Mm. A uh, TNT, like they've obviously been happy with that because they renewed them like immediately. Like it was like what six months in, and they already like said, "Okay, here's a new deal. Yeah, here's the money now." And I think, I think Tony Khan's gone on record as saying like that money's helping them a lot during COVID, and it was really good that they got that new TV deal when they did because. You know, if TNT was just paying production right now, AEW would be a lot worse off. Mm. So, as far as that goes, I don't think you could call that anything except, like, a massive success. Because they're top five in their night every night. And, like, pretty much every week. And then these past few weeks where Dynamite's been shuffled around a bit, they've kept essentially the same audience. Mm. So... They have, like, a dedicated fan base. They stick around even when the Knights are moving, even with competition. Mm-hmm. And, like, all you can do is build from there. And if that's your base being, like, double what expectations were to start, like, TNT should be happy with them. And they are, from the what looks of them. Yeah. I was going to ask, uh, Rich, do you watch TNT at all? Obviously, we don't get TNT over here. I don't know, Sarah, do you watch it on the Fight? I watch it on the Fight TV app, which this week had the very odd side effect of getting the audio levels wrong. So it was like Chris Jericho and Jim Ross were having shots of helium in between sort of calling matches. It's funny. It gets grating after about the first 13 minutes. I will say that much. I'm Um, sure those weren't the only shots he was having then. Oh, hey. <laughs> Good shout. So, um, but Rich, do you watch TNT at all? Is there much in the way of kind of original TV? I'm only really kind of aware of things like Conan and Samantha B. I think, other than anything else on TNT, is it is it like a go to station? Is it the kind of station? It, that it's is- a rerun station. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the only other show that's on there, I I, I want to say it's the uh, uh, the uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's the train that's set in post-apocalyptic uh, times around the world. Snowpiercer, yeah. Snowpiercer is like the only thing. And then just playing good movies and replays of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, no. Now, I watch it. Uh, that's a good, like, I nothing makes me happier than the post uh AEW movie because it's usually something I've seen before and it's probably something I'm going to be very comfortable like either falling asleep or doing my show in the background just like no volume but I understand what's going on at all times like if I need to see Gone in 60 Seconds for the 700th time TNT's there if I want to watch Kong Skull Island boom on it Uh, I thought it was a little curious with their choice uh, here in the states to be honest they picked the longest yard for Wednesday which was 
like the the new Young Missar, the one with uh, Adam Sandler, is the show that replaced that time slot. Which where for us, like nothing says like let's not talk about the racial issues in the United States, then bring on Steve Austin using the hard N word in the middle of a comedy with Adam Sandler. Yeah, because he played a racist security, he played a racist oh, prison yeah, guard in that movie. And so I'm like, guys, guys, could we have done like Happy Gilmore? Could we have done like Mr. Deeds, like any other Adam Sandler movie other than this one tonight? <laughs> that was like the first time I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to put on Netflix or something. I'll watch, uh, I'll watch some She-Ra and call it a night. <laughs> but it, it seems like they've got a really great partner, haven't they, in TNT? And you mentioned that, like, it, it seems like it, uh, it's cheaper than making original programming. I'm not sure if they they did the remake of Dallas, or that could be a fever dream on my part. But um, it seems to me like it's cheaper on that. And as Suit mentioned, they don't have to pay for the kind of the, the expenses, the video expenses and the production expenses and things like that. Or at least they've got it to a kind of manageable level where you don't need to move it around a country. But um, do you feel like that it's quite incredible that a company like this, at the scale that they're at, in terms of we're talking the second biggest company, certainly in the US, um, and for most of the world, that this is all within less than a year. This is a startup that we're talking about. Yeah, that's amazing that when you think about it in that, in the sum of it, how they went from an idea to the number two company in North America, maybe the second biggest in the world in terms of revenue, et cetera. I think the one issue they have with TNT is, and it's similar to the late days of WCW, the corporate uh, cannibalization of assets within the company. So what I mean by that is if you look at the CEO right now of ATT Warner, he's the guy who used to be the CEO of Hulu, and his vision is pivoting everything to digital slash online. And so he's fired a lot of HBO guys. He's fired a lot of folks, including the guy who got them their deal. Is that Kevin Riley, is it? mm -hmm. Mm. And so now you're in this position where you're producing at a high, but you got to keep doing it because you don't have a safety net anymore. You don't have that person in the room Mm. that can push for you. And with them firing people and having HBO Max is the thing they pivot to. And him saying that television is the equivalent of radio when he was younger in terms of the archaic nature of the technology. You have to wonder how much they are willing to pay. Like, are they going to go further than this in terms of payout? And if not, that helps AEW because they've seen they've been on an established network for X number of years. They brought in this demo. They brought in this key number in the demo they brought in these numbers of hundreds of thousands of people maybe even millions Mm -hmm. any other station will like them so i think like suit mentioned like you mentioned the best thing that happened to them was signing that deal before covid because now they have that they have that area to breathe and they don't have to worry about money that other stuff can happen down the road but right now they're in a good spot yeah yeah, it's it's a pretty incredible um, position, really. All things considering, I mean, and I did want to add something real quick to what Rich said. Um, Kevin Riley, who got fired from a from um, the TNT circle, Warner Media, I think it's Warner Media. Yes, yeah. um, apparently his name's been brought up as taking over a key position in um, the USA. Um, What's the uh, Ooh, w- the, the NBC the, Universal? The old Bonnie yeah, Hammer, the yeah. old Bonnie Hammer roll, yeah, yeah. So that'd be a swerve. 
It's, That'd be something else. If he cancelled them as well, I mean, he'd be a... Oh, honestly, if he uh, just turns out he's... Yeah, you're right. I don't know, maybe he's taking revenge for what that guy who TNA hired early on and turned out was giving them false numbers for the weekly <laughs> pay-per-view. Sorry, that's a that's a dive right into history for the time being. Um, Reddit would send him a couple of... Uh, what'd they send Triple H? A fruit basket? Yeah, yeah, I think... Yeah, <laughs> he'd be getting a few of those. <laughs> um... Sarah, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned actually some stuff about the the YouTube trends at the moment, and obviously you mentioned for the women's tournament that they did did good numbers. If I'm thinking rightly on this, it was, um, I think they did overall sort of an average of about sort of 400,000 or so that they managed to do over that, which isn't a number to be sniffed at, really. Um, Is it something that you, uh, I mean, do you think they can start doing a regular million in the states for first run is that the do you think that that's going to be possible and do you think there's a kind of time limit to that do they need to start thinking about breaking that barrier before the end of this year see i actually really view stuff like this i don't view it as a wrestling fan i view it my media brain like i work in media so i buy television as part of my job Mm. you know if i'm if i have a brand that i'm working on and their target is 18 to 34 you know i look at their tv schedules and see what's trending well and what isn't trending well but also when i'm buying tv we're not just buying tv we're buying youtube so pre-roll ads on youtube we're buying ads playing and you know players across the internet so i feel like when I see all this talk on online about TV, I'm like, we're looking at such a small picture. I, and I know the States is a completely different market to one that I work in, which is Ireland, which is, you know, one thousandth of, you know, the, the US TV market. And I know, like, I have friends who work in media in the US and it's it's insane, you know, the, the differences. But I think we all need to start looking at this, like, as a 360, mm-hmm. whilst, like, if TV is what I think it is, TV trends are going down year on year and impacts are down as people turn to their Netflixes, their Hulus, their on-demand services across the board. It's, it's just that shift that, you know, people aren't sitting down at their traditional times anymore to watch that show. And I think AEW has done so well that they are getting those people sitting down at the same time every week. And even when it when their schedule changes, what they've done the past few weeks is really impressive mm. that you're getting people out of their schedules to actually sit down and make time for this show. And and just adding to that, it makes me really wish we could see the numbers because the live numbers only tell a certain picture. I love seeing those later down the line, people watching two or three days later because they've recorded it on their sets, you know, and that like that counts just as much of a view as that live view does, mm. you know, if I'm a if I'm a media person reporting back to my brand and, you know, how their campaign is done on television, we're not just reporting on the live figures, we're reporting on the figures, you know, two or three weeks later when everyone's actually watched their campaigns. So I'm getting really technical here. Oh, it's great, um, please. So I feel like for AEW, we can't just, okay, that's their TV figures, that's their YouTube figures, that's their, you know, the clips that they're watching. I don't know, TNT have videos on their website as well. Mm. We all kind of need to view them as one holistic picture. 
because everything's important for that AEW brand. You know, um, you like I think putting focus. I think having dark on YouTube is really great for them because that's getting them a different audience, and you know people will see how their views are doing, and that would be really really important. Um, is hitting a million on TV like? I think if they hit a million, it would be very impressive because that means that they're breaking this trend of TV trends going down. Mm. And I think it will really show that they're growing as a brand, that people are, you know, putting them as part of their schedule because it, it isn't like it was 20 years ago where people would sit down and they'd have to watch something when it was on because they had no other choice. You know, when you look back in, in you know, the late 90s and the really high viewership wrestling got, is because they couldn't log on the next day and, you know, well, you suppose you kind of could for some people watch the full show, but you couldn't watch the full show, you know, legally um, the next day. So... I think it would be really interesting. If they do break a million, I think that will just go to show that they've been very, very impressive. Mm. Yeah, it it will be, won't it? And like you say, it's it's kind of... It, it's it's the idea of that kind of idea of, of TV as that dying medium, and it's, it's, it's become old media. And it's if you're able to kind of break that trend and produce something that's doing sort of positive numbers, because... Um, and I don't know, you might be able to speak even further to it. It appears to be that kind of sport is the only thing that has a chance of, particularly live sport, which this kind of comes under as live entertainment, as they're the kind of only kind of real must-see, essential, t- like live TV programming. So it's whether or not advertisers perhaps, would they view AEW more as a kind of a sport? Something that's closer to say, if they're looking to buy ad ad time on TNT for say um, the NBA, when it when it when it does return, is that the kind of, you know, is that going to be part of the difficult? Do you think? Do you think if they get treated more like a sport, you get the more serious advertisers, you get the more kind of, sorry, yeah, ABC One types that you're aiming for as well. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think what's really important there is that social media aspect. You know, people talking about it in live time is so important for AEW and and advertisers wanting to to appear there. You know, if people are tweeting about it and watching it live, you know, they're not kind of flicking through the channels as much. You know, they're, you know, on their phones kind of double screening as they say so everything's on in the background and they kind of pick it up and when they do that kind of screen and screen they're seeing it in live time and I think that sport aspect is important in that way because like live sport really is the gold mine for every single you know every single station like obviously in the UK and Ireland you know people pay top money for live sport because that is the thing that's that's surviving um and and doing those large numbers and it's worth so much money um i think maybe it's probably different that TNT isn't a sports channel it's not typically where people go to for their sports. Mm. Um, but I think it is really, really important. And um, having live TV is is imperative. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's that live component of it, isn't it? And that's, that's going to be the thing that kind of really sticks out. Um, before we move on from the kind of business side, I, I just kind of wanted to... to say something that I know that I heard about this mentioned on, um, I think it was on uh, Voice of Wrestling flagship show. Is Wednesday going to become the new Monday? 
when it comes to kind of destination wrestling. I know we're thinking a couple of years down the line. Um, Rich, if we could start off with, with you. Um, yeah, is Wednesday going to become the new Monday? I think it's already started. I, I just think about what's going on now. I look at Mondays and Fridays as slogs, to be honest. Mm. It's just it's three hours and two hours where I my my son gets more enjoyment watching the stuff on NXT and AEW with me because he knows Chris Jericho. He's got this big bin of wrestling toys. He knows some old people. That's some he's good learning new people. Rich. Good work. Oh yeah. I mean, he's got an HBK referee outfit like wrestler what? that is his ref for matches. Yeah. I got this from like a, it was like a used store in my town for 30 bucks. He gave me a crate of wrestlers. So Trey, my son is just very, very, very blessed in that regard. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's already happened. And I think it's the creative differences. I love what they do with NXT. I love what they do with AEW. Whereas when I'm watching Thunderdome, it's like I'm trying to watch the support wrestlers I like on those shows. Mm. Uh, I'm even one of the idiots that love under, Raw Underground. Because I'm like, anything different. I love watching 80s bad action movies. And if you're going to give me a three-hour wrestling show, give me the 30 seconds of that and I'm fine. So that's, what, that's why I say I think it's happening and it's happening now. Does it feel that way for you, Sue? Does it feel like it's it's it, Wednesday is going to become the new Monday? Is it a better? It's it seems to me like it's a much more I don't know. For me, like Friday nights is a kind of strange night at time for tea. Obviously, not so much at the moment, but but Wednesday seems to kind of sort of suit a lot of people much more down to the ground. I would say so. Like the only thing Monday has is the fact that it's. Like, Monday's a tradition for wrestling, and it's been that way since 93. But if you put Raw on, like, if, like, if Raw had started, like, 10 years ago, like, I think Wednesday would already be, like, the wrestling night. Because that's all, that's all Raw has. It's just the tradition. And even then, they're still shedding viewers constantly. Like, it's gotten to the point, and there's probably there's probably an article I can write for Voices of Wrestling about this, but, like, WWE just ground so many, like, wrestling fans out of, out of watching it that it's, like, it's kind of shrunken down to where both AEW and NXT are, like, kind of splitting the viewership in a way. Because it's like Raw, like if I were to like throw out like a guess, like Raw is around like 1.8, 1.7 million viewers. Yeah. Every week. And then, you know, Dynamite and NXT, they both get around like seven, 800. So that's close. And then like once you get granular with the demos you see like Wednesday nights are beating Mondays as far as like the young viewers go so like that day is going to come pretty soon where AEW and NXT are beating Raw and then i think like if AEW keeps going in this generally good direction where the shows are they have their problems but they're generally good I think they could build up on the audience that they already have because, you know, every few years there's something that, like, brings people into wrestling. Like, if you think of the last decade, it was CM Punk with the pipe bomb, and then Total Divas started, which brought a lot of people 
from outside of the wrestling fandom in. And so, you know, I think we're kind of due for another one of those. I don't know when that'll come, especially right now in, in COVID times, but I think once that next wave of fans kind of comes in, that next thing that brings outside people into this world, mm. I think that'll be the time where AEW kind of like really catches on and starts building up from there and starts just making their way toward Raw and like toward SmackDown too because their numbers aren't that much better. No, and when you consider the amount that's being paid for them as well, I mean, Sarah, right. yeah, as a as a as a media buyer, you'd be telling people to invest in AEW, wouldn't you, rather than go for Raw and SmackDown? Please tell me you're doing this already, by the way. That would be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do. You, I do look at the numbers, um, the overnights for uh, Raw and SmackDown, just to be like, oh, I can't get ITV for for Dynamite. I wish I could. I mm. bet they're pretty paltry though um yeah like that's the thing you want to go with the young fresh brand right mm. um like they are that's that's what they are that's what they would be to an advertiser is that young fresh thing on the scene that people are you know that's picking up steam and i i think it is so different i think raw and smackdown just as brands and comparison are just quite stagnant you know yeah they're changing some of the content but if you're clicking through like the tv guide it's still Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, with the same kind of logo, same color schemes. I'm not saying that they need to rip their brand apart, or maybe they should. Um, you know, it, it's still the same to them. You know, when you look outside, like you say, that wrestling bubble and outside people, you need that thing that's fresh and new to, to hook them in. And I don't think, you know, a Raw Underground or Thunderdome as exciting they are to us wrestling fans, are kind of going to bring those people in. So I think it is like Dynamite really do need to to get that, whatever it is, we don't know. And it's probably a good thing we don't know, because it will be exciting to us too uh, uh, to bring in new fans. It it does feel with things like Thunderdome and even Raw Underground to a degree, I think a lot of fans can see them possibly as a fad. And they can see that this is something... You can tell when shows aren't doing well. And I know, for some reason I'm saying this, and all I've got is in big letters, Poochie. Just sort of like completely thinking about that as well. But just that... Go back to my home planet. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's that, it's that idea of you can tell when things are going wrong. And you start to kind of throw stuff up against the wall and you're seeing what sticks, aren't you? And in some ways, those are kind of much more signs for that. And we... We haven't so far sort of, I, I don't know, maybe it was mentioned again, maybe if Mike Tyson comes back at, at All Out, you could kind of think of them doing that. But at least I, I could see what they're doing that for for ratings reasons, if, if for, no, for no other. Um, just the final point, I suppose, in the business. And, and, and it's really just to ask about how do we feel Tony Khan has done himself? Just sort of spoken about everything else and i think there's i know when i sent you guys notes and i I made some sort of notes on tony khan and um rich just to start off with you because i mean he has to do if i'm right in thinking he's the negotiator for tv so they're able to save themselves quite a bit by negotiating with tnt he's obviously the producer of the show he is effectively the final filter he may not be creating the storylines but he certainly seems like he's a filter for what makes it onto tv and how it's made onto tv um 
I suppose a couple of questions. And it's, it's, it, like, what's he on? And does he just sleep on planes? Because I mentioned all this. He, he also runs, you know, a Premier League football club and an NFL team. Now, I think any one of those jobs might kill off all three of us here. But, uh, Rich, how do you feel <laughs> he's done? Tony Khan, year, year one. I, I think year one, he's hit it out of the park. I think for him... For us, that's difficult, but really that's the, the wildness. And I'm sure that'd be another po- podcast entirely of being the scion of a billionaire. You're kind of used to these sort of things. And this is something where you can dive in like Fulham making it back to the Premier League. Mm. He, I, you know, I talked to him about that, like the, the pressure of that, which was equal, if not more pressure than keeping the number two wrestling promotion in North America mm. it, it, afloat during a pandemic. And at least with AEW, he could be there, right? He could be there every week. Whereas with Fulham in the championship, he had to watch from afar. He had to only do Skype and video calls. He couldn't fly over. And so that is, to me, like, I, that's a stressor above stressors. I couldn't, even in football manager, I couldn't pull that off. Like, that, that would be a lot. Uh, but I think, I think for him, if I would give him a letter grade, I'd give him B plus, A minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this first year he figured out what doesn't work, which is all five of the persons in the room making disparate decisions. And we hope that this ends in a gestalt show. Nope. Need one voice. You need that. No, that final, no, that final. Yes. We also need a person that's finalizing signings on their own, not just everybody running off and signing their friends. And then you have a top heavy roster and you're kind of figuring out what's going on. And I think he's navigated and is still navigating because I saw on Twitter his battle with uh, uh, Ryan Satin not doing what kind of did him a disservice with Fulham while they were being relegated, which was responding to every having radar ears and picking up every tweet and responding to every person like not everyone can do it. Like Randy Orton, when he said his stuff on Twitter or Linda Hogan, sometimes you just got to let some of those people have their quote-unquote win and keep it moving because you're going to get pulled down the layer level and it's not going to look good for either of you. I think on the whole, he's done good. I think one thing he can improve upon is just being comfortable that what they're doing is right and we don't need to we don't need to compare ourselves and we don't need to get pulled into those traps by the folks that are looking to get points with the other company. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's avoiding that point scoring and and sometimes, and I know we mentioned it earlier on as well. You don't always want to be beholden to being overly responsive to any quarter hour trend as well. And I think he's done a good job of that and he recognizes that because, you know, with some elements of the show, there'd be people who'd just be completely, completely sort of turfed off. Um, Soup, how do you feel Tony Khan's done year one? Uh, I think he's done a solid job, you know, um, starting like, He's done a very good job at like being flexible when things fall through because a lot of stuff has fallen through with AEW. And if you didn't know it beforehand, you wouldn't know it's afterhand. Like if you like at the start when Pac had to pull out of um, the first double or nothing, Mm. he kind of just pivoted to, okay, we'll have Hangman win the battle Royal to get to the title shot. Mm. And then, when Mox had to pull out of All Out, he goes, okay, we'll just bring Pac back and we'll do Omega and Pac, which is what we were going to do originally anyway. And then, or was it? Yeah, it was going to be Omega Pac for the title. I think that's what Meltzer said. 
So, and then as things just kind of kept falling through, he's found a way to, like, navigate it to where it comes out better on the other side. Like, you know, another example is Hangman's push not working out. Okay, we'll team him with Omega, and we'll get him over that way. And it's worked out fairly well, I would say. So, as far as, like, him booking goes, I think... His ability to adapt is something that's very, it's something that'll very, that'll help him as time goes on. And it's good that he already has that ability now because it gets you, it gets, you know, kind of fan faith is set in mm. and that'll take you a long way. Like personally with, for me, like with New Japan right now, I'm giving them a, like, they're getting a pass from me because they've had, like, eight great years in a row. Like, there were WWE, you know, they had a good SummerSlam, and I didn't buy it for a second because it's just like, okay, when is this going to end? And it took them a day. So, once you get that, like, fan faith, once you get, like, people believing that things will work out in the end for you, That'll carry you a long way. So it's, he's done a very good job of getting that now. And as far as everything else, hey, he's doing a good job. Got the TV deal. You know, sometimes the show runs a little long. Got a couple, cut a couple minutes off the main event. But hey, can't bat a thousand every time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've seen, yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot worse. I'll say that right. as, as as someone who started to watch a bit of a bit of impact recently as well. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Sa- Sarah, what do you make Tony Big Tone? So I'm fond of calling him. Like, how do you feel about him? Is he is he got goodwill with you? There's something I find quite endearing about Tony Khan, and I think it's because. He is the ultimate money mark living out his dreams right now. And it's like, he is who, like, you sit down with your friends after you've gone to a wrestling show in the pub afterwards, and you start, what would you have done differently? You start rebooking your show, and you're like, who would we bring over? And that's exactly what he's doing. He's living out everyone's dream right now, running this promotion. It's just that he has millions of dollars in the bank um yeah he definitely has built up goodwill with me um and i think what he's done so far he's definitely done quite well um no startup company is you know 100 percent, you know in in their first year of running and we all have to take that into account you know they're not going to be perfect every time like like we've all said um and i definitely don't envy him you know, with with all that he has to deal with. And I think the worst thing he has to deal with, to be honest, is football Twitter anyway. Yeah. So anything that we say or any wrestling fans' criticism is no skin off his back when he has to deal with football fans. Um, so, yeah, I think he's done a pretty good job. And I think, you know, the next five years really are the ones that we're going to have to watch out for. It's not now. It's two or three years down the line when it's, you know, more solidified program you know their roster has been there for quite a while and and where they go from there you know is it going to be like wwe where their cards for the past five years have looked the same or will we see actual growth within aw and, and dynamite yeah yeah it is isn't it it's that year two it's that year three 
and it also might come to a point where, depending on how Fulham do, depending on, I don't know what kind of year um, Jacksonville are expected to have, but if they're in any way, uh, if any of you know, top three draft pick. Oh, top three draft pick. They're looking to politely tank. They're going to do the most gentlemanly (laughs) way of losing as many games. Oh, go ahead. I. Well, I'm not disagreeing. I just didn't know they were, like, that bad. I thought, like, they'd be, you know, middling. I didn't think they'd be, like, hit the floor bad. Oh, yeah, they sold off as many players as they could. Yannick Ngakwe, their best pass rusher, got into a public Twitter feud with Tony about his dad not trading him. And so they've still continued that. They're looking to trade him for, like, a second-round pick. And that's a guy you really should get a first for. Given the amount of stuff that, so yeah, this is a whole pot. I think, I think really they're going to be comfortable with it because especially with COVID, they've cut their losses. They're in a tax free state. And if they get the top pick, they're getting probably Lawrence from Clemson or uh, again, this is turning into a whole different podcast. So I'm sorry, JP. No, no, they no, it's great. Man. Uh, they have, uh, Johnny Manziel's evil cousin right now at quarterback. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, cause Gardner Minshew. He looks like like everyone's uncle in the United States from a 1970s like coming of age movie, and so I, I'm really intrigued to see how that winds up for him. I think does that effectively mean that Big Tone can take a bit of a year off? Then in that case, really, he can he can concentrate on AEW properly for another year and just a bit of Fulham maybe, right? And and sort of just go right. We'll just try and get through to getting that. Um, uh, what did you say? Second round draft pick. Oh yeah, for or like top three draft pick, but like that yeah. second round for his player trading. Cause instead of like sales and soccer, it's yeah. more of the like picks. But I think for them, it's always been easier for him with football because he, his dad and uh, like the company is run itself and he has an analytics company that's like affiliated with, mm-hmm. with uh, Jaguar. So it's not as day to day as he is with Fulham. So I think that'll also help. I, I'm interested though to see how Daly's place is affected if they find that as like a nice respite. For Jaguars fans, if they do actually take fans in, yeah, yeah, that is going to be that, that is going to be interesting for that as well. Um, we're on to the final section of the show. We're, we're nearly there. We're going home. Um, I just wanted to kind of, I suppose, really, it's about all out as much as anything else, and we're kind of at a point going into this. Uh, there's only at the moment, I think there's five matches that have actually been sort of properly announced, but there's others that we're expecting. So as a, just a quick rundown through the cards, just to really see kind of what you make of it. And also, do you think this is going to do effectively the same as double or nothing? Uh, but they've got obviously the AEW champion match with, uh, John Moxley and MJF, the women's championship match with Ikara Shida and Thunder Rosa. You've got the tag team title match between um, Hangman and Kenny versus FTR. The Mimosa Mayhem match, which I think we can all see how that's going to end. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. And then so far, um, I think announced for the uh, Casino Battle Royal is Darby Allen, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, Eddie Kingston, Butcher Blade, Pentagon Jr., Phoenix, and I think Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall are in there. Um and I think as well at that point, there's, uh, it's likely to be what Britt Baker, Big Swole. I think Britt Baker's going to be back yeah. in that one. And then next week on Dynamite, there's going to be an eight-man tag. And the winners of that match will wrestle each other two-on-two two at All Out. 
And that looks so likely it, to be Bucks and uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Express. Express. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which seems like the likely one for that. Um, starting off with yourself, Sue, how do you feel about All Out? Is it a show that you're excited to see? Uh, everything kind of come together well. Um, a lot of people are down on the main event. I'm, I don't know if I'm down on it, but I think it could be, it could be a very solid main event, especially now that they've got the fans and there could be that heat element there that could really help MJF yeah. to get his match to the next level. Um, like I've been impressed with him back to the double or nothing match because before that you know he felt like a guy who you know he needed time to develop his like wrestling to be you know top line but that jungle boy match at double or nothing really impressed me as far as like for both men feeling like they could be you know top line stars down the line so as far as that goes I think a lot of people are writing off MJF a little too early because I don't think that Cody feud is done yet. And I don't think anything like I don't think Cody's going to turn heel or do anything until something happens with him and the world title. Mm. And I think if you're going to go that route, I think MJF winning here would be it would be something that would lead to that down the line. And then as far as the other matches, you know, Casino Battle Royales, it's got it's got some feuds going in there. It's got a lot of built up names. Uh winner gets a world title shot, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always kind of indifferent I don't know about you I'm always kind of indifferent to the Casino Battle Royal. I watch these things with a bit of wariness. Well, AEW is one of the best companies of all time at running uh good battle royals. They've had two. <laughs> So they've got my attention there. <laughs> um, the Mimosa Mayhem match, I said this on Twitter, but it feels like they really overstocked Jericho's campaign and they just got to find something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it kind of killing um, time, really, because Mike Tyson isn't around? Is that what this my is going to replace? Th- like, I had a thought that maybe like Tyson would be like the enforcer for this match. And he'd punch Jericho into the mimosa after the match or something. Yep. Like, I would hope they announce that soon if that's going to happen. Um, tag title match has been built up great. It felt like a three-way feud, but I'm fine with two-on-two. Uh, you asked me earlier about FTR. I've been high on those guys since they were running in NXT. I think their run on the WWE main roster kind of it soured people on them because they were just tired of them not getting used. Mm. And it kind of led to like people forgetting how good they could be. And then, you know, this angle with page turning on the elite and him and Omega kind of Omega kind of getting grumpy with everything. And then you got the bucks on the side as well. Like it's all leading to FTR versus the bucks. And then, Maybe Hangman versus Kenny, or both of them turn heel, or Kenny heel turn. Like, I'm very excited to see where all of this goes, because I know the end points are going to be really good pro wrestling matches. Hmm. Yeah, and then women's title should be great. I'm very, I'm high on Thunder Rosa. Her yeah. and uh, Allison Kay had a really good match at the uh, NWA pay-per-view earlier this year. So it's, it's a good-looking card. You know, the... I'm 
And then, you know, you got the Young Bucks in Jurassic Express, which could be a really good opener. And then I don't know if they'll throw another match on there. Swollen, swollen Britt Baker, which whoever wins that's probably going to be next for the women's title. So, yeah. Good looking card once you get to the end of it. Yeah. At the end of the day. <laughs> Sarah, how do you feel about are you are you all in or all out on this one? There we go. Hey. <laughs> I think I'm all in. That is the thing about AEW is you could be the lowest of the low on their weekly TV, but there's always that one thing about their pay per views that are like, I actually have to watch it. And I think they've done a really great job with especially Hangman and Kenny that you're watching every pay-per-view because you're like, something's going to happen at the pay-per-view with Hangman and Kenny. And all that's happened so far is them delivering amazing matches. But you're like, no, something's still going to happen. And I think that is the big sell for me is just the story that they've told with those two. Um, And another point, I think if you asked, you know, said to me a year ago, Sarah Orange Cassidy is going to be in a long-term feud with Chris Jericho and they're now going into their third match on a pay-per-view and it involves mimosas. I'd be like, what drugs are you on? <laughs> Where did you get them? Because I also want those drugs. Um, like I've I've been really high in Orange Cassidy for a long time. Um, he's been one of my favorite wrestlers to watch because I, I just I think can he's... remember you having that T-shirt about sort of three years ago at a Fight Club Pro show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've been a huge Cassidy fan. Um, and I think because he was so different and stuff that he used to do with with Chuck Taylor, you know, four or five years ago with the Gentleman's Club, you know, he he played his character and niche so well. And that's why now I'm watching him in this story with Jericho. And I can't believe that I actually just wanted to end. Like, I am such a big fan of his, but I'm like, this just isn't the place for him on the card. Um, And I think it's just... It just hasn't gone the way I think anyone has wanted it to. Like, what is a mimosa mayhem match? <laughs> it's it's kind of like I like my ridiculous wrestling, but not in this way. Um, I think it's nearly too ridiculous. It, it's too ridiculous, and they're trying to play it off so serious. I think is the point I'm trying to make here. You know, it's meant to be this big serious feud, but someone's getting thrown into a big glass of mimosa. Um. As for the rest of the card, yeah, John Moxie, MGF, like I, I am, I'm waiting to see what MGF does. He has impressed me the past few big matches he's had. So I think now is, you know, his time to really shine and show people he's not just, you know, this awesome guy in the mic, but he can deliver that match um, in the main event. Um, Do you give him the belt? <sighs> you kind of. You kind of would just to see what he can do with it, I think, mm. because I don't think he's so young. It's not going to harm his career. You know, he can really carry himself so well on that mic that I, I don't think it will hinder him in any way. Mm. Um, like he, he might flop, but in five years down the line, you can try it again and he's still under 30. Mm. Um, you and know, it played into a storyline as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I think as well, like, Mox, him losing won't hurt him because he's such a big star. 
and he can do so much with so many different other people on the roster that him kind of losing and not even going straight back after it wouldn't be seen as such a big deal. Um, so there's there's definitely room for opportunity there. Um, I think the women's match actually has potential to be one of the best matches of the night. Um, I think Karushida kind of always has that point to prove in her big matches that, you know, she's one of the best on the roster. And Thunder Rose is a great pickup. Um, even if it is just for her to come in and lose and then leave again, she kind of came in with that aura about her that you're like, oh, this is actually quite special. Mm. And her having that big match, I think, will be really good. Um. And yeah, AEW shows are always great to, ch- to tune into, and you know I always make time to watch them live. So I think I think they're they're going to hit it at the park again. Yeah, uh, Rich. Last but by no means least, how do you feel about this? Do you feel that this is? Um, are you going to order? All, I assume you'll be ordering all out. Um, how do you feel about this as a card? Are you excited? Um, do you think that this could be a, a really good launching point? Hello, Rich. Oh, hello. Have I frozen? I think I possibly... And finally, Rich, uh, how do you feel about All Out? Is it a card that uh, that you're excited for? Absolutely. I think it's a strong card. It's one that really bodes well for them as far as what's going on now and what can happen in the future. I think you all did a great job talking about the dynamic of the main event, the the world title match. But I think even going back to the idea of what can happen with a Swole win or Britt Baker win and how that can continue their feud, uh, the tag title craziness and all the fun that can come out of there. I just think it's going to be a solid show. And like Mm. Sue mentioned, they have not had a bad battle royal. I know it's a goofy idea, but I don't mind the the 21 and like the groups of five. And uh, it's different. It's better than coming from commercial and then all 20 people in the ring. So I I, I really like it. And I I am hopeful that they're going to to do a good job with it. And I think in particular, if they can open the door for a guy like MJF being the third champion, as young as he is, or if Moxley puts him down, the one thing I want to see out of AEW, uh, this would be the pay-per-view for them to do it, given everything, is if they can get the EVPs that are still in their feelings to back off, they need to work with New Japan America. That full stop. And if they can't figure that out, God help them. I'm completely with you on that 150%. It would appear to be, I think as well, covid You'd like to think, oh, I say you'd like to think, but COVID might well end up forcing the hands when it comes to cooperation. And the idea of kind of various, putting that stuff aside for what is a general benefit for both companies and the business possibly as a whole. And that brings us to the end of our AEW roundtable. Thank you all so much. You've all been absolutely fantastic guests. Gonna go, ra- go round and, um, ask you to, to, Plug yourselves. So, um, Sue, I'm going to start off with you. Where can where can the wrestling universe find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Suit Williams, S-U-I-T-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. You can listen to me talk about, you can listen to me usually sleepily talk about WWE um, on the Smart Sports Podcast. Uh, I've gotten her into New Japan, my... Uh, 
my co-host Mel. I got her in a New Japan, and I've recently uh, had her watch an old Dragon Gate USA match. So I'm really getting her into stuff. And then, uh, yeah, you can keep up with my writing at VoicesOfWrestling.com whenever I do that. Uh, I was going to preview Payback, but then I looked at the card for 10 minutes, and I literally couldn't think of any <laughs> words to write. But whenever I do write something, you can check it out at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Brilliant stuff. And Sarah, where, where, where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Flan. Um, with some good tweets, usually means me rambling. Um, and then at the two Sarahs on Twitter as well. Um, and then lastly, the PWG podcast, Journey Through Grid Island. And um, we currently have our next recording penciled in. So very excited to continue on our 2004 PWG journey. Blimey, the completely different wrestling landscape at that point, 2004 PWG. Kinda <laughs> grim. It's kind of grim, and then I suppose with everything that's gone on in wrestling in the past few months, yeah. but it's still going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, it will definitely. Well, hearing that you guys talk about it always sort of makes it, it always makes it seem so much better. Though, anyhow, and last but by no means least, Rich, where can the good people find you? Well, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Rich underscore fan, F-A-N-N. Uh, my shows are on the PW Torch Network, so if you go to the PW Torch in any podcast app that you use, you can search either uh, PW Torch Daily Cast or East Coast Cast. And if you want to listen to them, traditionally my shows are released on the Torch uh, Saturdays in the evening for the deep dive, and then Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, so late uh, Thursday afternoon for East Coast Cast. That is absolutely brilliant. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for, for taking your time to talk about it. I've really loved it. It's been really enjoyable. Um, I'm JP. You can find me on Twitter at JPGP, three E's. And I'll be back on Grapple Spotlight on Monday. And, yeah, I'll see you all soon. Bye. This is a song about a superhero named Tony. It's called Tony.